And I know that in a lot of tech companies, that is the case. It's perfectly acceptable to come into a meeting and you are you've got your laptop open and you, you're looking at things that have nothing to do with the meeting. And then there are other places where that would be not acceptable at all. And so that kind of goes back to when you're looking to hire people and to be able to describe your company culture as, hey, we prioritize attention or we don't prioritize attention. And that way people will know, oh, how do people behave here? Hello, everyone. I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook, and welcome to the GeekWire podcast. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we report each day on what's happening around us in technology, business, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And each week on the show, we talk about some of the most interesting tech and business stories in the news. This week, we're talking to Dr. Julie Pham, an entrepreneur, former nonprofit executive, and author of the new book, Seven Forms of Respect, a guide to transforming your communication and relationships at work. Julie, welcome to the GeekWire podcast. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's always great to catch up with you. I always learn something new when we're chatting. And I guess I just want to start out. I mean, we can go in so many different directions today, but let's start out. Tell us a little bit why you wrote this book. I wrote this book because I found that people were really struggling with about what this word respect means. I remember the moment that I came up with the idea for the book. I was on a panel talking about leadership and someone in the audience was saying, you know, I'm really trying to get someone to, a coworker to trust me and, and they're just not, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, maybe the way that you're trying to show trust is you're giving them a lot of information about your personal life and they actually just want you to show up on time. And maybe you just have different ideas of what demonstrating trust looks like and how you want to be treated. And then it kind of just hit me, I see this all the time. We have different expectations of how we want to be treated. Well, that's very interesting because one of your seven forms of respect based on that story is punctuality, which you wouldn't necessarily think of in terms of respect. You usually think of it's more of a just a communication style and how you're, but this is a, a pretty basic action, right? In terms of showing up on time and respecting somebody else's time. So how has that manifested in some of the work environments that you've been in? So a lot of people bring up punctuality and they bring it up just the way that you did, John. It's basic. It's obvious. You have to do it. And yet it's actually not. And so one of the things that I show is that respect is relative, it's contradictory, and it's subjective. And it can be cultural. So I, when I lived in Vietnam, they actually have a phrase, time is rubber. So punctuality, this idea of operating within time constraints is not necessarily a sign of respect. It's just something that you do. And yet for other people, no, that is respect. And so that's what I want to show in the book, that we all have different perspectives uh, in that it's relative and it's, it's about how do we talk about it? You know, you asked me, why is this relevant right now? I think as the world is so polarized, we're looking for right and wrong answers and things feel so black and white. And so what I wanted to show in this book was actually how we think about respect depends. Yeah. And I, I think that was one of my big takeaways from the book. And it, it's the way you communicate and the way we each interact with each other is so different depending upon our own experiences and backgrounds. But this seems like a huge challenge for individuals because you really do have to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And as a leader, 
something you might find important may not be as important to the other person. So I'm curious, especially in larger organizations, how somebody can maybe make those choices based on a myriad of experiences across, you know, hundreds of different backgrounds and, and uh, the way people have been brought up. So how does somebody navigate that? I think of the framework as a way to spark conversations. It's not about what forms of respect matter. It's actually about talking about why they matter to me. And actually, I just want to clear up for the the listeners, because sometimes one of the big misconceptions about the forms, the seven forms of respect is that I'm telling people how to be respectful and that these are the seven forms and you have to be respectful in all of these different ways. And actually with the seven forms of respect, it just shows there are seven different forms and you will prioritize some and deprioritize others. And you might actually think of some as not being a form of respect. Right. And I know you've compared this before to the love languages, which my wife put me through the exercise. Mm -hmm. I didn't self-select to do it, but I think it was a very valuable exercise to go through what type of love language you are. And you've talked about this in the same framework, right? Like you might be a very particular style of communication or when, when it comes to respect, you might have a particular thing you're very strong in and things that aren't as important. I'm curious for you, when you look at the seven forms, and we probably should should name them. I, I have them here, but you probably can name them off quicker than me. So why don't we quick quickly buzz through the seven? And then I want to ask you, which ones are your strengths and which, which are ones that you've kind of had to work on or think a little bit more about? I will use the acronym PICA. So P-P-I-C-C-A-A. And so there is procedure, punctuality, information, candor, consideration, acknowledgement, and attention. And John, I don't want to talk about it in terms of strengths or weaknesses. It's actually, I like to use the word priority. Which are the forms of respect that I prioritize? It's actually, respect is really dynamic. And so I often compare it to the five love languages just to uh, because it's easy for people to understand, oh, there are these different ways of showing love. And so that is the start. And then also in the book, what I show is respect is actually much more dynamic than that. And there are three dimensions to respect. And the first one is hierarchy. The way that we give respect depends on if we're interacting with someone who has more power, equal power, or less power than us. And that that's going to happen in the workplace. And the second dimension is what I call give versus get. Are you giving respect? Or are you getting it? What do you like to show versus what do you expect to get? And the third dimension is what matters to you. What actually, what forms of respect actually matter to you? So this is not about what are you strong in or what are you weak in? And because to me, that suggests that we should all strive to be strong in all of them. It's more about which are the ones that I prioritize that I actually care about that matter to me so much that I will do no matter what versus the ones that I'm like, eh. I'm ambivalent about, or I'll only do it because John, I know you like this. So I'll do it because I want to show, I want, I want to be respectful to you. And I know you care about that. I know you want me to CC you on all email. So I'll do that. I do like that. Um, I actually I do actually, like that. Yeah. And that's information. That's information. Yeah. I don't care about yeah. that. It's really funny when people come to work at GeekWire, they really struggle with that because our communication flow has been such that. I mean, we're in the news business, which I know your family was was Mm -hmm. in, Julie. And so you understand, like, there is so much coming at you at so many times that in order to keep on top of everything, you kind of do have to have this circle of information of like, hey, respond on that email in 
make sure everybody's copied so you know it's handled and it's taken care of, which we've learned is very different than a lot of the cultures at other places where like, no, you don't copy everybody because you don't want to blow out their inbox. And so it's really been interesting because we've had a number of people who've come into GeekWire over the years who have had to learn how to communicate in that way, I guess, as a form of respect to us to let us know, like, I don't think it's a controlling thing as much as just like, let us know the task is done so we can move it out of our hair and go do something. So it's really interesting to use that one as an example, because that one really resonates here at GeekWire. Yeah, John, you just actually perfectly illustrated how it's relative. And so that one we call information, which is access to information and to knowledge. And um, in some people, like for me, I actually only like to give it on a need to know basis. I don't want to be CC'd unless there's an action for me. I don't want to actually CC other people unless there's an action for them. And yet on my small team, people want information. And so I actually adapt for that, just the way that your new team members are coming from organizations where maybe it was need to know, and now they're working at GeekWire and we have to CC everyone. And the way that you described it, you kind of defended it. You know, like, this is why we should do it. And that's the way people feel about each of their priorities. So even for punctuality, like, isn't it obvious that you do that? And for someone who it doesn't matter to, they're like, no, it's, it's just time flows. And it's just not that big of a deal. And people who care are being rigid. And so we can actually go both ways. And that's what I want to show with the seven forms of respect, that it is actually, that it is actually relative. Right. It is relative. And I guess what your point is, is that you just need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like you're, It's better. Like I have a friend uh, talking about the punctuality. I have a great friend of mine. Love, love this guy, but he is not punctual at all. And it drives me up the wall. And so I guess your advice to me is, John, don't let it fester. I should speak to him and say, I, I mean, we kind of joke about it, but maybe I should be, should I be serious with him and say, Hey, you know, I think it's damaging my relationship and friendship because uh, I really like to be punctual and I like to show up to things on time and I can't count on you. What should I do? And he probably totally doesn't know because you joke about it, but he doesn't actually realize how much it bothers you. And that is indeed it's um, so with the framework, it's actually just encouraging people to have conversations. And it's always a negotiation because he may say, John, I just can't. And this is why these are the reasons why I cannot be on time to meetings with you. And at least you will know because what ends up happening is oftentimes we don't say. And so we assume all these reasons for why they, oh, they don't value my time as much or whatever, this and this. And so we're just, we, we've, we've filled in our own story. And so this is a, it's a way to actually to talk about, Hey, this is, this is what matters to me. And here's the thing about that last dimension. Well, I'm, I'm just going to do it through the podcast, Julie. And he's, I'm going to send it to him. He's got to tune in. We're doing a, we're doing a, a friends getaway where we all, have, we, we all have to make, we all have to make the, uh, the Washington state ferries, which, you know, if you miss, it's mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. So, um, we'll see if the punctuality kicks in for that, but, mm-hmm. uh, Yes. So I will have him listen to this and uh, see if we can get a dialogue going, which yeah. would be good. Could be just like a negotiation or just at least at least saying it. Okay. We're going to take a short break. We are talking to Dr. Julie Pham, the CEO of Curiosity Base and the author of the new book, Seven Forms of Respect. We'll be right back. 
I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. We are joined today by Julie Pham, CEO of Curiosity Based and author of the book, Seven Forms of Respect. We're talking about the different forms of respect from punctuality to candor to information. I want to fast forward this a little bit and, and put this into kind of practical terms, because as we all know, we're going through a pretty radical change in the economy right now. We're starting to see layoffs across organizations, a lot of cutbacks, and this is changing the dynamics in terms of how companies are interacting with one another. And so, Julie, I'm curious, as you look at the landscape today, and as I said, companies are cutting back and trimming and they're having to have some pretty hard conversations What's the advice that you would give to leaders as they are encountering these types of challenges based on the research and learnings you've pulled out from your book? It's so important to maintain morale during times of great change. Having a clear idea of what company culture is, is more important than ever, especially, yes, there are layoffs and there are also a lot of people leaving too with the great resignation and people are moving around and it, you know, it, it's, it costs a lot of money to replace people and you want to be able to keep people. And so I think a, a big challenge that I see companies facing is they don't actually know people say, Oh, I don't like the company culture. Part of that is because they actually haven't articulated what is the company culture. And because oftentimes when people describe company culture, they use these big vision words, like we're innovative, we're forward looking, but they don't, use behavior words. And actually culture is made up of what you do. It's not what you say you do. It's what you do. And so with the seven forms of respect, it it helps companies articulate, this is our culture. And so, and then that it's clear to people, should I stay here? Is this the right place for me? Should I join this company? For example, is, is this are the, the way that people behave? Is that going to align or not? And, And it can be as, I mean, we joked about CCing people on email, right? And yet for some people that can feel like excessive control from the top. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, I, th- I think we've encountered that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you think like you don't think it's a big deal because it's actually your preference, but for other people it can feel like incredibly micromanaging, right? And so I think that it's, um, as we're thinking about, yes, there is, there's slimming down and laying uh, and laying people off. And there's also how do you retain people and how do you keep the morale up? And I think that's about being clear about, well, how do we treat one another and what's acceptable here? Let's say you are a CEO and you are facing tough times here in the coming weeks and you know you're going to have to do a layoff and lay off a, you know some great people that you've had to work with in the, in the last few years. What is the approach that somebody should take in that scenario based on what you've learned through your research in your book? 
It's about having clear conversations about what is ahead because people just want to know. They don't want to guess. To be transparent about, hey, this is this is where we're at. I mean, I even think about I didn't think about my team, right? It's just like this is um, we have enough revenue for this. I can't I can't convert people to uh, full time yet. It's probably not going to happen until later on this year, and this is why. And I think oftentimes people are afraid of saying things out loud because they're afraid of causing fear. And yet what causes fear is people not knowing. So let's say a company isn't transparent. They don't want to share that much information. They don't operate with candor. What are the risks for a company like that as they approach a hard decision for their team? I think that they are going to end up facing the consequences of people will come up with their own stories. And they may say like, they're reading, they're reading what's on the wall and they're just they're reading the writing on the wall. And they're just like, maybe I need to leave because I'm seeing, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And so I should try to find another job before I get laid off. I do think that if your company is in a tough situation, it helps to be transparent about, um, about that and to let people know. Otherwise, they will come up with their own stories. So Julie, one of the things I've been noticing a lot with the CEOs that we talk to at GeekWire is that as we've shifted to this hybrid remote work environment and people are hiring all over the country and all over the world in many instances now, that they're struggling with how to communicate across the the body of their employee base because they do have people in different cultures. And it can be different cultures in the United States. I've talked to people that have had teams in Seattle and Atlanta, and they're very different in terms of what the norms are. And so I'm curious, based on how things have changed around respecting one another, based on how hybrid work and remote work, largely sparked by COVID, has changed this conversation. Any insights on that? One of the forms of respect is called attention. And that is about deep listening. And so because when we when we did our research, a lot of people said, oh, respect means that people are listening attentively, they're not multitasking. And, and that's changed in the remote world because our expectations around attention have changed. And now you can be on a, it's more acceptable to be on a Zoom call and to be multitasking and to be checking your phone and to be doing this and that. And you would never do that when you're in person. So yeah, I would say that that is, remote work has really impacted that particular form of respect really strongly. And I will also say that even before the pandemic though, there are some companies where it's just, that is not a priority. Multitasking is a sign of performance. And I know that in a lot of tech companies, that is the case. It is perfectly acceptable to come into a meeting and you are, you've got your laptop open and you, you're looking at things that have nothing to do with the meeting. And then there are, other, there are other places where that would be not acceptable at all. And so that kind of goes back to when you're looking to hire people and to be able to describe your company culture as, hey, we prioritize attention or we don't prioritize attention. And that way people will know, oh, how do people behave here? For leaders that are looking at and reading your book, do you recommend that they they do take maybe two or three of these that kind of form the bedrock of their culture? Are there any organizations that are really 
trying to be expert at all seven or is it is that outside of the realm of possibilities? Are they in conflict with one another or how do you view that? I think that sometimes they, in some situations, they will, they will conflict with one another. And that's why I actually use the word prioritize versus values. So often leaders talk about, we value this, we value that. And yet values are something that you keep always. And I like to use prioritize because it's just prioritize means, well, what am I going to prioritize in this situation? Because things change depending on the stage of the work. So if you are in ideation versus implementation, and so what you're going to, the way that you'll respect each other at one stage can differ from another stage. And also, I I think of actually the forms of respect existing at three different levels. There's me, the individual, there's the team slash department, and then there's the organization. There's the company. And so the analogy I like to use is the forms of respect that are prioritized at the company level is the national language. And then in the different departments or teams, those are like regional dialects. And the people who are going to be most successful are those who can switch, who can be multilingual. One of the things I really advocate for is how do you be adaptive? And that's like for CEOs, just how do you, how do you be aware that you're going to need to, you, you expect people to adapt to you all the time. And yet, how do you adapt to them? And how do you also recognize that the need for just constant adaptation? What is your advice for those leaders in terms of maybe recognizing and understanding those dialects across various teams within the organization? I get how they can maybe get the master national language, but boy, that's kind of hard to go if you're not a salesperson and then understanding the sales dialect and you're more of an engineering person and you have the engineering dialect. Are there tools you can use to try to learn the other dialects and become better at them? I think it's actually just becoming aware of them. So maybe you won't speak them, but you'll at least understand, well, why is this important? And so um, the framework is really to give people language to say, okay, in the accounting team, finance team, procedure is really important to us, right? Like we really, we really like rules. And in the engineering team, candor is really important. And you may go into that, uh, into a meeting with engineers and they're treating each other. You might think like, oh, they're being really rude to each other, but no, they're just like giving each other a lot of candor. And maybe that is not going to be what you see in say the customer service team. Right. And so, but to be able to say like, Hey, this is, this is actually, we're just respecting each other. And these are our forms of respect. These are the preferred ones that we, these are the ones that we prioritize with one another. And to also understand like, maybe I'm not going to do that with someone from another team. And then here's another thing. There's the personal preferences of the team leader. And then there's also the nature of the work. And the default is what the leader likes. It might not actually, what the leader likes might not actually support the nature of the work. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got like an ER doctor or like the head of ER. And in an emergency room, punctuality should actually not be the form of respect that is prioritized. Because in an, in an emergency room, it's about who needs care the most, not who got there at a certain time or who got there first, right? So like who is in the most critical need of care? And so if you've got the head of that department who's just so fixated on time constraints, well, that's actually in contradicting with what the nature of the work needs. And so it's also being sensitive to that. 
I had an example from the tech industry. I'd love to have you just share some insights on it. I mean, I think we've seen this played out with Facebook slash Meta, where the language of the company and a edict and driving force through Mark Zuckerberg, the founder, was move fast and break things. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that was the national language, right? And like people who came into that culture, that was like, that was drummed into them. But at some point, that language caught up to them. And maybe that wasn't such a good tenet for the organization because it was they weren't seeing the problems that they were creating based on the platform. And so I'm curious in that instance, how hard is it to reverse some of that national language that is in place? And what do you do to try to, you know, repair some of that damage? Any insights from the Facebook example? Yeah. So the move fast and break things is that is showing the lack of procedure. And that works for a particular stage in a company. So I talked about the stage of the work. Well, there's also the stage of the company. So when you are a fast, nimble company, it's just like, you know what? All these rules, like we can't spend time on just, we got to just trust each other and move, right? And so it actually works at that stage, right? But as a company becomes bigger and has much more responsibilities, you're just like, okay, well, actually procedure is going to be a lot more important to us. And so we see that being a priority form of respect in larger organizations. I mean, when I talk to people who are from military backgrounds and who have who are very used to hierarchy, it's like procedure is a priority for them. So in terms of your question of can you reverse that, I think it's about having conversations of like, what is needed now? That's what was needed then. We're not rejecting, we're not saying it was bad. We're just saying like that was what was needed then. And we've changed. It's to kind of recognize that respect is dynamic rather than saying like, this is good or this is bad. It's just like, we have to adapt. And so, and then that adaptation is to serve our work. We're talking to Julie Pham. She is the CEO of Curiosity Base and author of the book, Seven Forms of Respect. When we come back, I'm going to ask Julie for some examples of companies, organizations, individuals who represent different aspects of the seven forms of respect. We will be right back on the GeekWire podcast. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. We are joined today by Julie Pham, CEO of Curiosity Base and author of the book, Seven Forms of Respect. Julie, when we left off, I wanted to bring up some specific examples, if you will, of where you've seen individuals or companies that have exemplified aspects of the seven forms of respect. Are there any companies or organizations or individuals in the last couple of years that stand out to you that have done this well or poorly? So one of the forms of respect is acknowledgement. And so this is about giving praise, about giving uh, thanks. And I've talked to people who work at Amazon. And so if I were to run the seven forms of respect framework through them, I've been told that you actually cannot tell someone directly 
you can't give them praise. You have to actually give it to their manager. So how I read that is actually the, the acknowledgement is not something that is being prioritized. So yes, I say that because there are some things that people can prioritize and that they don't prioritize and that it's important to actually be aware of both. I mean, when I was at Microsoft, I know that attention was not prioritized, that they that people multitasked all the time. And candor was prioritized. But candor is like there was lots of very um, lots of very direct feedback and that was valued yes. and that's how people would get promoted. So when Bill Gates would tell one of his um, you know, executives, that's the dumbest effing idea I've ever heard, that's a form of candor, I guess. And, and, you know, there's also variations because I could say like, that's one form, that's a, a variation of candor. And some would say like, I don't like that kind of candor. Some people <laughs> would say, I want candor, but it needs to be solicited. I need to ask for it. And other people like, I want, I want you to play devil's advocate. I want like unsolicited, direct, you know, doesn't use whatever language you need. And they're both candor. And then I've also seen people who say they want candor and yet they don't. And so this kind of goes to that second dimension when I talked about give versus get. So there's ways people want to give respect and then and that can differ from how they want to get respect. And so think about that person who gives you unsolicited constructive feedback. And yet when you give them unsolicited constructive feedback, they don't like it. Yeah. We've all been in that scenario before. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's been in there. Yeah. You know, or like maybe you like to surprise people, but you don't like to be surprised. And so there is that difference and it's kind of just being aware of that. And I, and I hope that this also helps leaders become aware of what they are doing is actually, they are modeling behavior. People do what they do, not what they say. The people do what you do. And so this is actually part of the, when I work with companies and I, I'll survey the uh, teams, hey, what are the existing forms of respect on this team? How are you currently interacting with one another? What are the top ranked forms of respect that you think that you do for one another? And often the leader will be like, oh, that's so good that like, look, mine are the same as like what the team's currently doing. And then I'll ask if, why do you think that is? And then sometimes there's this like, oh, huh, I guess I do influence that. And then the second part is to separate that and go like, okay, well, what is the, what is the nature of the work require? What is actually good for the whole of this, of the team and of the company, not actually just what your personal preferences are, because people will do, um, will do that just naturally. And so it's actually to kind of separate and have a conversation about it. Any other examples of uh, companies or organizations that you feel have implemented this, this structure and this approach in an effective way? I've talked to companies that after going through the conversations, they realize that we need to give each other more information. That is something that the team members, on one hand, they feel like, oh, I don't want to burden you. I don't want to fill up your inbox. I don't want to. And yet they realize that, no, that's actually what we need for our work. We need to give each other this information. Even though we complain about getting too many emails, this is what we need to, to move forward. Because oftentimes people just don't want to burden other people but we're not having conversations about what actually people think is burdensome versus, and, and then also what is, what's helpful for the work, even if you personally don't like it. Those who want the Cliff's Notes uh, version of your book, what would be the big takeaway as we wrap up here? That respect is relative and to 
ask people to first ask yourself, what forms of respect matter to you? Because a lot of times you don't even realize what you care about. You're, you might just think about what you should care about. And then to ask other people, hey, what do you care about? How do you, how do you want to get respect? And then to ask why. Because people remember stories. They're not just going to remember the what. They're going to remember the why. And I'm just going to end with a story to exemplify this. Growing up, my mom was always late picking me up from school. And I was just filled with a lot of shame because the school staff had to wait with me. And I said, when I grow up, I'm not going to do that. And so I care a lot about punctuality because I reacted in opposition to my mom. And other people could have the exact same experience and say like, what's the big deal about being late? So we don't know what people are thinking. And that's why sharing stories is what people are going to remember. Well, Julie Pham, thank you so much for being on the GeekWire podcast. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the GeekWire podcast. Kurt Milton produces and edits our show. Daniel L.K. Caldwell composed and performed our theme music. I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.